Well, hello and welcome back again to the Bible teaching channel of A Love Outreach. My name is Dave Nelson. Today we are going to continue on in our study through the book of Acts, and we have come to Acts chapter 22. So if you are in a position where you can do so, I highly encourage you to grab a Bible and open it, open it up there to Acts chapter 22. Now, before we jump on in to verse 1, though, of chapter 22, I would like to just go back and set the scene for what we are about to read, kind of just a, a little bit of a refresher here. So I'm going to go back into chapter 21 and go down and start reading at, um, <coughs> excuse me, at verse 27. And I'm just going to go ahead and read my way on into chapter 22. But again, I think it's important that we just kind of, since it's been a while uh, since we covered chapter 21, uh, I think it's important that we go ahead and, you know, get a little refresher here on what's being said. So in Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 27, we are told that the Jews from Asia seeing him, that is Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now, it's funny because um, I wasn't really going to comment on all this, but just something pops in my mind here. You know, we think about laying on of hands. We think about laying hands on somebody and praying for them or whatever. Uh, it wasn't that kind of laying on of hands here when they laid hands on Paul. Crying out and saying in verse 28, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So, verse 36, For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him! Then, as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness. Now, isn't it amazing here how all these different stories are going around about Paul, what he's done wrong? Uh, it's amazing how gossip spreads amongst the people 
right? One story gets told about this or that, and then the next person hears this or that. And before you know it, they're ready to stone you to death or beat you to death, right? Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, now verse 1 of chapter 22, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all, or they kept all the more silent. Then he said, so look, let me pause right there, right? Paul was obviously in a very bad situation at this moment here that we're reading about, right? They were in the process of trying to kill him until he got rescued by the centurions. But Paul is going to use this situation here, this bad situation. He's going to use this situation to share his testimony about Jesus. And in verse 3, Paul says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Think about what Paul's saying there. He's saying you all are zealous toward God here in a certain way. But isn't it a shame the way that they're zealous toward God? They're beating a man, trying to kill him. And this is the way that they were zealous about God. But Paul was being honest here and saying, I was just like you. I was once where you are. Right Now, in case you don't know this Gamaliel mentioned there in verse 3, he, uh, he was a renowned Jewish teacher. Every Jew knew who he was. And they knew that he was an expert in the law in his field of study. Paul was trained by him. But upon coming to Jesus, Paul counted all of that formal religious education and training, he counted it as rubbish. Rubbish, right? Now let me show you the reason that I make that statement. Go ahead and mark this page in your Bible and turn toward the back of your Bible to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading down in verse 5. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul, speaking of himself here, says that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal. Remember, he just said he was zealous like these guys were, right? He said, concerning zeal here, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul was saying here that in his religion. He had dotted every I. He had crossed every T. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, full of zeal and perfect 
in concerns of the law of Moses. Right? He said he was blameless. He was well respected. He was high ranked. Right? But since coming to Jesus Christ, guess what? All of that meant nothing to him. Nothing at all. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Paul said, I lost everything. I grew up in this way. I had it made. He had all the fame, everything. He was high rank and all that, trained by Gamaliel, and he lost it all. But he said, but in losing it all, you know what? It's a bunch of garbage to me anyway. Since I've come to know Jesus, since I know the excellency of Christ and have the knowledge of Christ now, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters to me. You know, it's sad, but even in Christianity today, many churches, they look for pastors with diplomas and certificates and such, you know, and they're trying to find someone of a certain class, a, a certain level, whatever it may be. But if a man has not died to himself, humbled himself, and, and doesn't see himself as just a servant in the kingdom of God, he should never get behind a pulpit in the first place. And this is why we see so many pastors fall, so many ministers and priests and such. They put themselves on a pedestal or others put them on a pedestal and they accept the position, they accept the, the high praise. But really it shows that they don't know the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which comes from counting everything as loss, humbling yourself, dying to yourself, taking up the cross and following after the Lord and lowering yourself. In verse 9, Paul tells us that what he wants his life to be known for. He says he wants to be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So you see, when we walk by faith, we walk in righteousness. And that's a key point. I, I could and maybe should spend a lot of time talking about that because the person that truly is walking by faith is the person that truly is seeking to walk in righteousness. This is why we have the shield of faith mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, so that we can quench the fiery darts of the devil, right? The temptations and the trials and such and the hardships in life that do and, and most definitely will come our way. These things can, if we're not careful, entice us away from walking in righteousness by faith. Righteousness never comes about through religious affiliation. Righteousness is indeed a necessity, though, when coming to God, but it comes about in our lives through faith in Jesus Christ, walking by faith 
in Jesus Christ and what he has done, right? And being obedient to him and to his words. Titus, which you often hear me quote, but it's so important that many people learn this scripture today. Even many people that are in the church that I have talked to are not familiar with this verse in Titus, right? But it says that the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does it do? It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to walk soberly and righteously in this present age. So like I said, the person that is walking in Christ is walking in righteousness. They're denying ungodliness. They're putting up the shield of faith. They're pressing on into faith. They're saying no to the temptations. They're saying no to the trials. And they're quenching the fiery darts of the devil as they hold that shield of faith. And they continue to walk in righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. But this is what the Apostle Paul said here of his life. When I quote it, and you can go ahead and turn back now to Acts chapter 22, but this is what Paul said about his life when he said, hey, this is who I was. He had that zeal. He persecuted, in verse 4 of 22, chapter 22, I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women. That's exactly what these Jews were doing to Paul right now for being a follower of Christ. They're doing the same thing Paul used to do. So Paul's saying, hey, look, I understand where you are. I persecuted this way, capital W-A-Y there. That is those that are the followers of Jesus Christ, the way. And he says, as also, verse 5, the high priest bears me witness, and the council and the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. It's interesting, though, as you read this, that the high priest may have been right there in the crowd listening to Paul as he was speaking here. Because Paul says in verse 5, as the high priest bears me witness, maybe Paul pointed out into the crowd at the high priest. And maybe even those that gave Paul the permission, right, in the past to go out and hunt down and persecute the people of the way, right, what we would now call today born-again Christians are the people of the way. But how quickly... People can turn on you. Paul was once one of them. They're standing in the crowd, but they hate him now. They, they hate him now because he is a servant of Jesus. He's not running with the good old boys anymore. But you know, people that are bent on their religion, people that are bent on their denomination, their non-denomination, or what they call their distinctives and such. If you're one of them, they're okay with you. But if you set out to truly follow the leading of the Lord by His Holy Spirit, as was the case with Paul here, they, they will gladly submit themselves as instruments of the devil and start firing those 
darts at you, those fiery darts, right? Start shooting those fiery darts at you. They won't hesitate for a moment if you deny their religion, their denomination, their non-denomination. If you don't do things their way, they'll come after you. But you see, we are called to not do things their way. We are not called to do things the world's way. We are called to come out of the world and be separate and to follow the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ. But Paul, he stayed the course. He stayed the course of faith. And in verse 6, he continues testifying of what the Lord has done in his life. And he says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. So this would be Paul's encounter with Jesus here. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, because that's who he was at that time, Saul, not known as Paul. But why are you persecuting me, the voice said to him. So I answered, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, I love this verse, and I'll tell you why. Jesus, at the time we are reading about right now, was seated on high. In other words, as Paul's telling this story about this time, his conversion, when this happened in Paul's life, Jesus wasn't physically on the earth anymore. He had already ascended into heaven. So he's seated on high. He's on the throne. But he's still caring about, he's still looking after those that were his followers on the earth. And he tells Paul here that by persecuting his people, the people of the way, that he was actually persecuting Jesus himself. So keep that in mind. Right? If you've come upon this video, this audio, and you are somebody that attacks Christians, right? keep in mind that you are attacking the Lord Jesus himself by attacking those that are of the way, his followers. Jesus himself is persecuted when believers are attacked. You see, you can't separate the body from the head and still have life. Jesus is head of the body of Christ. We are his body. If we suffer persecution, he's suffering persecution. He's the head, we're the body. And there indeed are trials, there, there are things that cause tribulation and such in our lives. We do suffer for our faith. That, that our faith is you know, that is if, I want to say, our faith is truly on display. Now, if you're like a closet Christian and you don't profess your faith in Jesus Christ, well, you might not be persecuted. But the Lord cares, though. And the Lord was about to change this man, Saul. And that's what Paul's telling the story about here. And he was about to make this man a servant of his. And Paul's life would go on and impact millions. And I can testify that I am a life impacted by the life of Paul. 
because it's what Paul chose to write down in the pages of what we now have as the scriptures, the Bible, that I read and came to faith and the living word had its impact in my life and I had my encounter with Jesus Christ and was brought to my knees before Christ to become a servant of his. But Paul continues his story in verse 9. He says, And those that were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So this was a, a voice. Jesus made sure that his voice was heard only by Paul because it was specifically for Paul. No one else heard it. Often we too as followers of Christ need to realize that when the Lord is leading us, there may be no others around us that hear the call. Sometimes the Lord is separating us for His will to be done in and through us. As was the case with Paul, there's often a work that the Lord wants to do in our lives, and the first thing He has to do, though, is knock us to the ground as he did with Paul, to bring us to, a, to our knees. As a matter of fact, I would say that anyone come, who comes to Christ must come that way. They must die to themselves. They must be humbled. They must be broke down. Bring the eyes of our hearts to the place where we come to be blind in a sense, right? That's what the Lord will do. Blind to what now? Blind to the whole world around us, right? And then he opens our eyes to see a new way, his way, to see that he is the way. But he first struck Paul down and blinded him. And then what happens is you begin seeing the light after you come to Christ. But you see a diff in a different way. You, you see the truth. And we align ourselves in a place where we are fully attentive to, right, and fully submitive or submitted, excuse me, to fixing our eyes on him. Paul was brought to that place, that place of submission, that place of absolute surrender. And Paul's story continues in verse 10. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked at him. 
I looked up at him. Now, here we see this man, Ananias, who, in a sense, you could say he, he had been waiting in the wings. He didn't know the, the plans the Lord had for him, not as it pertained to, to this circumstance here, to be written down now in the pages of the Bible. He was just a, a devout man. He was just living a devout life. And his life gave off a good testimony. It reminds me of Cornelius, whom we read about in Acts chapter 10, who was also a man of a good testimony and also a devout man. But have you ever stopped to realize that there are a lot of Ananiases being used for the glory of the kingdom of God? Ananias, if you remember from the story in Acts chapter 9, um, he wasn't too thrilled about the assignment the Lord was given to him. But nonetheless, he obediently walked in faith. And he went to Saul, of course, who we now know as Paul. And Ananias pronounced God's call upon the life of Paul. In verse 14, Paul says, telling the story here, says, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. And hear the voice of his mouth. That's what Ananias said to Paul, or Saul at the time, if you will. So who is the just one being spoken of here? Jesus. The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Verse 15, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Notice that Ananias told him there Paul was going to be a witness of Jesus to all, all men, not just the Jews. The gospel will go out far beyond the Jewish communities. And Paul was one of the men to bring that about. And there's no time to waste, so Ananias said to him in verse 16, we read, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So what we are seeing here as Paul describes his own conversion is there is something very important here that I want you to think about today. First of all, in the story of the conversion of Paul, we see him, like I mentioned earlier, being broken, brought to the ground, made low. This is the first step in the life of someone that comes to Jesus today. Now I know there are those that maybe grew up in a Christian household, raised up in the faith of Jesus Christ. But it's still important that you make your relationship with Jesus known. It's important that you absolutely surrender who you are to Jesus Christ, no matter what your upbringing has been. You've got to die to yourself 
You've got to take up the cross and become a follower of Jesus Christ. We must humble ourselves, die to ourselves, be crucified with Christ. Then we must be done with our old lives. You may not be Paul. You know, you maybe you'll be an Ananias in the way that the Lord will, will use you. Maybe not. But a new life begins in Christ. And again, it starts with your surrender. Dying to yourself. Then what? Well, just like Ananias told Paul, be baptized. Calling on the name of the Lord and your sins are washed away. Old things pass away and all things become new. It's time for a new direction, a direction in which you will be led by the Lord, a direction in which you will walk in righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a free pass that now says, go ahead back to sin and all you want. Keep doing what you used to do. That's not the true life in Christ. You're now going to deny ungodliness deny worldly lust and you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus and you're going to be obedient to him and you're going to become a servant of the Lord in the kingdom of God that's how it all happens and this is what happened in the life of Paul so he is being beaten and they're trying to kill him and persecutions coming his way all because he's preaching Jesus, all because he's standing for Christ. Are you hearing the voice of the Lord right now within your heart, maybe even as you're listening to me speak? I want to encourage you, don't ignore it. Rise up. Repent of your sin. Call on the name of the Lord. Be baptized and begin to follow Jesus. Men like Paul died so that we could have this gospel, so that we could know that we can have eternal life and be set free and be servants of God. So God bless you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, whichever the case may be. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us. Go to our website, aloveoutreach.com, and fill out the contact form. We'd love to hear from you or help you to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But until next time, be blessed. We'll see you then.